0: and welcome to chapter tactics this is your warmer 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game i'm your host mr pd pob the rhino and with me i have of course three amazing co-hosts we're just going to jump right into tr- introducing them first we've got mr ben jerk from the in the finest hour podcast hello hello We've got the one the only brandon grant itc champion forever how could I not like that intro? Thank you, Pablo. And then finally, I have the epitome, the personification of a 40k golden age, Mr. <laughs> Reese Richard Robbins.
1: Yes, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth.
0: Now, <laughs> <laughs> the, the reason why I made that joke is, of course, you read the title. You know what this episode's about. It's about the golden age of 40k. It might be this age. It might be a past age who knows? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the good things that GW is doing, the things that we like, maybe some of the stuff that we don't like, and we're going to decide if we are entering a golden age of 40k right now. Luckily, we have dozens and dozens of years of experience between the four of us to talk about 40k, where it was in the past, and how far GW has progressed. I will say it right now, I'm of the personal opinion that we are Entering or looking like we're entering a golden age of 40k. Uh, I did say that for the last edition for 8th edition uh, And I was pretty much beating that drum until space marines dropped Uh, And then I very quickly dropped that drum like a third grader in marching band so We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what factions are good right now uh, What factions need a little help if that equates to a good balanced meta Uh, and then we're gonna talk about other things that GW is doing as well, too, but before we jump into that this episode is brought to you by the Atlantic City open that's right it is finally here tickets went on sale yesterday at noon as of recording this episode half of the tickets have already sold for the Atlantic City open you do not want to miss it it's going to be a big a big uh frontline gaming quality event uh there's it's the The hall is massive, which gives us a ton of room to grow into and also a ton of room to meet all of the proper health and safety precautions. Uh, We are very, very excited. Uh, Of course, it may still not happen, but that's why we have the awesome refund policy that we adopted last year as well too. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't get your tickets. You can still get your tickets and put them towards a future event. Or if if you're not sure about the Atlantic City Open, you can get that Frontline Gaming Events Pass as well. I am so excited. And also, if you're interested in joining joining into the 40k tournament circuit, the ITC, this is definitely the year to do it, for sure. We're going to pick up Steam. We've got some amazing things on the horizon as a community. Reese, do you have anything else to add to that?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, I just checked sales. Uh, 40k is about 75% sold out. Star Wars Legion Heat 1 is two-thirds sold out. Age of Sigmar is just about half so the event is more than half sold out in what six hours of sales yes. so if you want to go when you're listening to this don't wait we have a very robust refund policy so your money is safe uh definitely just grab the tickets and if you can't make it no big deal you can transfer it sell it whatever um, but yeah we're really excited to have a safe uh, return to organized play
0: yeah and the the venue is beautiful the it's-
1: Gorgeous.
0: Yeah, it, and if anything, I think if you're someone who's planning on be on trying to really hit it big with the big super majors for next year, for instance, that this year is near year. I would actually definitely recommend trying to go anyways if you can because the atlantic city is going to be uh an lvo caliber event in the future the venue is massive uh we're definitely pushing it the location is great uh there's pro we suspect there's gonna be a lot more uh, across the pond 40k players coming as well uh it, it's it's just i'm so excited for this event uh i'm excited to put all the resources and time and effort that we put into the lvo into an event like this um it's it's gonna be great and so you definitely want you know, to show up, get your bearings, maybe get a feel for the hotel so that next year, when all your buddies go with you, you can know where all the hot spots are and where all the good restaurants are and whatnot, which can help all right. go ahead. with all that
2: hype, I just bought my ticket.
0: <laughs> boom Ben, done. You done. have one less ticket. If you're listening to this, you're running out. Tickets are literally be so being sold right now <laughs> on this. Yeah, planet.
1: The venue is on it's literally on the water um in Atlantic City which for people who are like, it's not Atlanta, it's in New Jersey. It's really close to New York, Philadelphia, Boston, all of the major Eastern seaboard uh, cities. And it's only like a four and a half hour flight from London. So, and it's in June, right? So it's a really, really nice location to go for a family vacation. And it's also a casino. So if you like, you know, nightlife and uh, you know, uh, gambling and all that kind of stuff, you can do that as well.
0: I'm very very excited for this event Uh, and that is it so check that out also quick announcement from a frontline gaming network perspective we might be moving uh, hosting to another hosting program so if you see some weird stuff going on with the network if you see like uh, maybe ads show up again or uh, a feed is in a different location not to worry it shouldn't affect your day to day listening however there might be some small changes that you notice every now and then so keep that in mind. Uh, we are de- we're currently in the process of revamping and improving the Frontline Gaming Network, which is super exciting, but with that comes a little bit of change. And then finally, on a more personal note, next week's episode is going to be episode number 200 of Chapter Tactics. It's a milestone I never thought I'd hit. I was pretty excited for episode number 100, uh, for episode number 200. I have a couple topics I want to talk about, but I want to open the floor to the listeners especially those listeners who've been listening since episode number one. First off, if you're one of those listeners, thank you so much for persevering through all of the uh, learning that I had to do to bring this podcast to all of you. Uh, so put those episode ideas in the comments section. I'm going to pick one of them. Uh, we're going to talk about it, even if it's a small topic. Maybe I'll talk about it for five or ten minutes on the episode. I really want it to be a fun episode where we celebrate 200 episodes of Chapter Tactics together. And then also we're going to be giving away a Kill Team Pride Nexus box to one lucky patron as well. So head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics and support the podcast. All right. The golden age of 40k. What what exactly is a golden age? It's something that it's kind of been a buzzword that we've kind of used back and forth, especially as content creators, um, to kind of describe the state of the game of 40k and the hobby of 40k pretty much since i started playing um no one used this buzzword in sixth edition to be fair uh however they did use it to describe fifth edition which was the edition before sixth edition um but kind of the the before gray knights came into the mix and as i was thinking about the for the topic for this episode i realized that even though 40k is long and storied i feel like there's there's been multiple kind of like golden hued ages of 40k i uh, and none of them have lasted very long they've, they've always kind of ebbed and flowed i thought 8th edition was going to be the crowning edition and then you know space marines came out and uh we, we kind of had to revert back a little and then gw switched gears created a new edition, and now we're in ninth edition where I think we're, we're, we've are we got a positive trend in the right direction. So Ben, Reese, and Brandon, first question to you, open panel, whoever wants to answer it can. What is your idea of a golden age of 40 game? What do you want to see out of this game and hobby that we love so much?
3: Well, I can start us off then. Okay, so when you're talking about a golden age, um, one of the things that's helped us to realize what we're dealing with is all of these statistical analysis tools, at least for me, where you can see, you know, we've run this many events, we've had this many games, this faction has a 55% overall win rate, this one uh, goes 4 and one this percent of the the time, or so on and so on. And I think when you look at the statistics, or especially the statistics that will be coming out, I think that um, that's how I define a golden age, is the most number of factions are within the 48 to 55 percent win rate range where it's like you can go to an rtt there are six factions there in 10 players and any one of those factions could be piloted by someone who could win the event or you go to a big event where it's 60 plus in a major and there's at least four or five factions with the top players playing them consistently and you're like okay there's a lot of variety here not just in the kinds of factions, it's um, not just five Space Marine chapters that you're worried about, but the play styles as well are varied. And I think um, based on that definition that we're going to be able to argue conclusively that Ninth edition is moving in that direction of a golden age of the most number of viable factions we've seen since the game started.
2: I guess I'll go second and I'll kind of have an agreement with Brandon on the statistical side of it. But also on like a responsive GW side, where they are answering issues, answering issues quickly. When other, I want compared to other like competitive video games, competitive like tabletop or card games, what makes those games thrive and do well and consistently have very large player bases that keep coming back to the game and keep it thriving, uh, is those active rule changes and reacting and balance and doing what they need to do to have everyone on the same page. Um, the fact that everyone's playing from the same book is a really big deal uh, for the most part, I should say. And as we keep moving forward and GW adjusts to things that are obviously broken and facilitating it so that we have those multiple archetypes playing, that all those factions are somewhat viable, um, you know, no matter the pilot or, and whatnot, it makes the game actually balance. That's what we're looking for. Um, And I think that's going to be a huge requirement moving forward. I was a little bit lit down with the FAQ this morning with Dark Angels, uh, their secondary not getting nerfed, but who knows, might happen in the future.
1: Yeah, I would define a golden age for any tabletop game as a point in time where the most amount of people are playing and enjoying the game. So I think we're definitely heading that direction with the general growth of not uh, not only tabletop but games workshop games specifically and forty K even more specifically. And we're seeing a point in time where Games Workshop has clearly defined all the different ways to play the game and anybody who's been around for a long period of time will remember the days when there were arguments about how to what the right way to play the game was. And it caused silly infights for no reason and so now I think we're coming into a point where people who enjoy playing, like kind of a role playing game experience with a narrative where you're crafting stories that are just as important as uh, winning and losing the game, when you have a game that's friendly oh, to new like players a... <clears throat> and a game that keeps experienced players engaged over a long period of time, then that is what I would define as a, a golden age of the game. And I definitely think that, you know, when the plague passes, that we'll see if ninth edition has the chops to deliver that. But I think from a mechanics perspective and from a market penetration perspective, that all the pieces are in place for this to be the most exciting time to be a 40K enthusiast
0: yeah i agree with all of you what what i kind of love about this topic and um the idea of this topic in general is that a golden age of 40k or the good things about 40k could be different for everyone because we all experience this hobby differently even in our own little competitive 40k you know slice of pie there are no two competitive 40k players love the same things or enjoy the same things about 40k or even just the aspect of competitive 40k right you have like players that just go to tournaments and they don't care about painting their models and they just want the game to be balanced and they they want they want it to be competitive uh, and then you've got other competitive 40k players who really love the holistic hobby of going to an event competing with against other people with their beautifully painted armies and being, you know, super cool to each other and it's one thing I really love about 40k is that you can kind of tailor your experience to the game Now, there's always going to be, uh, you know, naysayers uh, and people who dislike aspects of 40k that I think that GW could create the perfect 40k experience and we'd still as a community find stuff to complain about. Uh, And so as you're kind of like listening to this podcast and talking about this topic or or thinking about this topic, just try to remember that even if you can find negative stuff about 40k, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not in a golden age. Uh, It just means that there's even more room for GW to grow as well. Now, you guys mentioned factions, Ben and Brandon, uh, and I really want to get into that because I feel like when we talk about the Golden Age of 40k, the factions and where they stand from a playability perspective is kind of one of the first things people go to when they talk about it because game balance and the state of the game are such an important part of getting a, of, of a, a good 40k experience. Um, the, GW's always had beautiful models. They always kind of managed to nail the other aspects of it, Uh, you know, some weird fluff withstanding and and odd, you know, decisions um, from like canon perspectives and stuff. For the most part, I think GW does a really good job managing their IP. And I think they do a really good job of presenting the hobby, the non-gaming aspect of 40k to the average consumer. But the point of contention in the past has always been uh, the game. And where that starts is with the balance in the factions. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, what Peter the Falcon, our stats guy, uh, talked about 40k when I asked him the same question. I unfortunately, couldn't make it on this episode. Uh, and then I want to kind of open the floor again to talk about where you guys think factions stand and how, from a balanced perspective, how good or bad 40k is doing right now. And so, essentially, according to Peter, uh, Dark Angels have been absolutely dominating the meta. Dark Angels um, have, been, have been really good. They are absolutely the if not number one, the in the top three Boogeyman factions, and they're only getting worse. As a matter of fact, Peter actually defines the Dark Angels as the Boogeyman. Uh, and then uh, on top of that, you've got the normal kind of usual suspects. Uh, you have Harlequins up there, sisters, Space Marines, specifically Blood Angels uh, and White Scars, not Dark Angels, but the other Space Marines. Um, Necrons are doing particularly interesting. More on them in a second. Um, so you're seeing you are seeing more armies kind of jumping into the mix and you're not seeing armies really fall off right so meaning that an army at the beginning of 9th edition like harlequins harlequins are probably the best example they they have i believe not gotten their codex yet all they've gotten is the update that they got at the end of 8th edition or beginning of 9th edition that gave them all the points decreases But Harlequins, since the beginning of 9th edition, have been holding strong and are still holding strong. So we haven't had any factions really fall out of favor. Uh, We were worried about Necrons at the beginning of the edition. However, Necrons are still where they are. They're still doing good. They're still a mid- to high-tier army. They've got play. They can definitely win an event with some help. And uh, that wasn't what I predicted for them to, ha- to happen to them. when more codex is dropped, uh, and then Death Guard, the other kind of new codex that just came out, uh, is experiencing a very interesting uh, phenomenon in that it's got kind of almost the Space Marine Eighth uh, Edition Space Marine vibe or Seventh Edition Space Marine vibe, where there's so many people playing Death Guards, they actually have the highest, um, p- the they actually have the highest play rate at 16%, meaning they're the most popular single faction, uh, and. Because of that, they have actually a 48% win ratio at the GT level, which is actually below 50%, but they're also performing really well at the top tables, uh, meaning that usually when something like that happens, it usually means that the, pa- the faction is both very popular, and also has uh, a lot of granularity and um, different kind of lists and styles that so that new players will pick up the bad lists and, and do poorly or, or just have fun. Uh, and then good players, top-tier players, will pick up the best lists and do really well with it, um, which I think is actually a, a good healthy spot for a faction to be in. Um, and then th- that's pretty much it. So uh, what do you guys think about where the GW is putting kind of new factions? Um, and then uh, do you think there's any factions that are kind of doing so poorly that you could argue that there, there's we're not really in a golden age.
3: So, first of all, if we're thinking relativistically, I lived through 7th and 8th edition, and the end of 7th was just toxic. Um, this is at a time in the ITC where uh, Frontline was modifying the game's workshop rules to make them playable in tournaments. And I say toxic because unkillable death stars were very common uh units that could wipe an army off the table in one or two turns were very common so if you weren't taking one of the extremely hyper-powered lists you were being left behind so if you wanted to take many armies in 40k and go uh undefeated at a tournament your options were limited um to say the least at the end of seventh um so i'll mention bark bark start and move on but um if we're if if we're comparing it to that time obviously we're in the golden age of 40k first of all the itc no longer has to modify games workshop games Workshop's rules the base rules are totally playable in tournaments with no modification number one number two the rules are being updated as ben mentioned much more often and as a result even the factions that have been left behind and would be relatively unplayable, like dead last in today's meta. I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, I'm guessing that none of the factions in the game have a win rate below 40% right now, which 40% would be unplayable in in my book. But what do you guys think? Like,
0: I wish i wish pete was here um unfortunately with these kind of stats you can't 100 percent no because there's not a lot of tournaments going on but i do agree with you in the sentiment that and gene Sir, Colt and tau players please 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 let me finish before you go into the comments section <laughs> um i personally feel like every faction is in a good spot at the intermediate or the casual level uh there, you you have to understand in 6th edition and in 7th edition there were certain factions that were just flat out terrible or in, in, in the inverse in 8th edition when space marines were in their heyday every other faction felt so underpowered compared to space marines that e- even casuals would complain so if in general in my experience if you if casual players are complain if they are noticing that their faction is underperforming in comparison to other factions without looking at tournament results, then I think you have an issue. Now, I don't, unfortunately in ninth edition, we have a lot more content creators and a lot more coverage of of factions now. So I don't know if that makes it so that that players, I, I don't know if we still have that same phenomenon. I don't know if, you know, little Jimmy in the local gaming store is sad because his Genesier cults can't beat, you know, Dark Angels even though his Dark Angels buddy is running, like, the worst Dark Angels list. So I don't, I don't know if that's a phenomenon that's happening or not. It doesn't feel that way, though. So I kind of agree with you, Brandon, in that. Just in a competitive sense, too. Yeah, I think especially right.
3: from a competitive sense. You're right. There's probably a couple of armies that almost never get seen at competitive events. So if you're going to say, it, to have a golden age, all armies have to be viable, then we're not there yet. But we're as close to that ideal as we've ever been.
2: I'll take off that and I'll say we're kind of, we're definitely leaning in a direction where we're headed toward the Golden Age. Um, and I'm going to give GW a pass here and say, out of the books that have been previewed and the books that are out, those codexes compared to each other, which is the vision of Ninth edition, because I don't want to look too m- much at the old books, even though Ninth edition did hand some of the old books a big gift like Harlequin's, um, but Looking at those books, I'm, it makes me really excited. I like the idea and the direction that they're going, and I want to see them do it further. But I don't want to see them drop the ball like they did in 8th with, with Space Marines. So, I'm excited. I definitely want to be here for it. I want. I look forward to the future of it, and I have a feeling that those factions, once they get their ninth book, aren't going to be nearly as terrible as they currently are.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like all the books that have come out so far have pretty good parity between each other and the thing that i'm actually most excited about with the books that have come out is that they have done an excellent job of combining theme and playability and i think that that is the um that is the the target that you're aiming for when you're designing a codex is that you want the army to play in a way that feels in alignment with the lore of the game. And if you can do that and the army is also good, then you've hit all the right notes, right? So even a casual player, or even someone who doesn't play the game, but reads the books or plays the video games can come walk up to a table and go, oh, Deathwing Terminators are really hard to kill and they hit hard. Well, yeah, that's that's accurate. That's the way it's playing. Or Drukari they're really fast and they're good in combat, you know, okay, I can see that, that's that's occurring on the table. So that to me is um, where we're going and where, where we're at with the armies that are out. Um, I think Dark Angels and Drukhari really stand out, Blood Angels too, stand out in that regard. And if we keep getting that, then I think there's gonna be a massive surge in people that want to, want to go to events and participate because the game is playing the way that it does in their imagination
0: yeah that, that is important too right is you can have a perfectly balanced game but if the game doesn't play the way it should feel uh meaning like if like dark eldar were all of a sudden as tanky as necrons but they were still really good that also has an aspect on people's perception and how they perceive the game so i agree with you Priest.
1: yeah and like that was to, to brandon's point like That was one of the things that made six and seven so stupid was like the Bark Bark Star, which for people who are listening who are newer that don't know what that is, they had these wonky rules where you could combine lots of different characters from even from different armies into the same unit. And so you had a unit that had like 30 uh, Fenrisian wolves or 15, I can't remember, and had like 10 characters in it that put all these different buffs on it. So you had a wolf that was harder to kill than a land raider. And it was absurd, right? So somebody looking at it would be like, "This, what is going on? Like this one little wolf is running up the table, getting cheered on by, you know, people from multiple different factions who shouldn't even be working together and is basically indestructible. That's, that isn't, like you said it best, Brandon, that's toxic, right? Like only the people that are really like invested into playing the game in tournaments are gonna like tolerate that. A person who is like only casually playing is going to like play one game like that and then say, This is dumb. I'm done. Right. So it's really important that the game be balanced. Yes. But also that it reflect the more like the lore, which is basically the marketing material for the game. So that somebody that approaches the game and wants to start playing can put his intercessors on the table. And they are good because in the books, they kick ass. Right. So that, that, that it's, it's really, really important that you have rules that align with the lore, um, and that is mechanically balanced, and that's very hard to do. But I think that they've gotten closer to it now than they ever have.
2: Yeah, I really like what you said there, Reese, uh, with the idea of getting tabled by a really well-oiled Space Marine Army versus just like some random concoction and a wolf tabling me. I, I'd rather lose uh, to the really cool Space Marine Army and just be in awe of it, uh, versus just saying, hey, this is dumb and leaving
3: that and i think that reese hit on games workshop is understanding mathematical um, statistical analysis better because i think back then it was possible to put so many buffs on one unit that it would become invincible and now we're even seeing changes with the core keyword um, and limiting what buffs can overlap on what units and still some of the most powerful combinations in the game are i put three or four buffs on one unit and now it's amazing but it's not six or eight or ten buffs on one unit and now it's invincible so yeah i mean
1: force multiplication is not complicated right and the more models you have the more multiplication that you get so yeah it's they're definitely they're definitely going in the right direction brandon i totally agree and the more limited you have of these types of things like you want enough enough for depth in combos because that's where player creativity and mastery lies but too many, and then you get a mathematical improbability, right? Like when you have a 1 in 36 even chance of doing something, like a 3% chance, that's absurd. Like it might as well be 100%, right? Like it just it, – Yeah, it's, it's not uninteractive. Exa- yeah, exactly. What do you guys
0: think about the trend of codexes coming out? I feel like, with the exception of, and I talked about this last week, with the exception of sp- poor Space Wolves, I feel like GW is doing doing pretty good with their codex and codex supplement releases. Um, they could probably, uh, you know, release them a little quicker, uh, but um, I think we, also, we were also spoiled by 8th edition and their rapid release schedule uh, at the beginning of 8th edition. So what do you guys think about the direction GW is taking in the game, uh, with both with the crusade rules and the... the um, the Warzone, zone, Karadron, uh, new detachments or new factions, um, uh, faction detachments, uh, the crusade rules that we're getting, and then just the new codexes with you know with the updated rules and the the extra secondary objectives and stuff. Do you guys think it's a positive direction? And do you think every faction will benefit from that treatment?
1: You know, one of the biggest complaints in the in the past was rules bloat, and I, I totally agree like, I think, you know, a digital rule set that combined, like, if you could just like subscribe to your faction and get everything right there. And then when you're building your list and the the list building app, it was all there, then it would make it to be not such a big deal. But GW is still, you know, trying to turn the ship in that direction. Um, and we're not there yet. And one one of the things I didn't like that from a business perspective, having lots of releases is great. Right. And that's their company. And they have a fiduciary and legal obligation to maximize profits to their shareholders. That's just reality. Uh, so I understand that, but as a gamer having lots of new material coming out all the time, it makes it really difficult to like feel like you've mastered the game cause there's too much change. So as a player of the game, I prefer to have, uh, less new material per faction, uh, or just less, less new material that you have to get into your head um but on the like the converse to that is that i think everybody would agree that it would be ideal if you could update all the factions simultaneously from a business perspective that'll probably never happen it just doesn't really make sense to do it that way but you know so it's in a weird spot right like it'd be great if when they rolled over the edition every every book got updated simultaneously and then they somehow like came out with new releases that fine-tune things or whatever So. I would like if if I, as a gamer in a perfect world, I would like to split the difference between fifth where you had two to three codex releases a year, which was way too slow and eighth where you had sometimes two in a month, right? So that, that would be ideal where we could cycle through all the factions in a relatively quick pace. So nobody felt like they were left behind. But then not to just have a bombardment of rules, which you feel like you're never really on top. You're always getting surprised by stuff.
2: I think I. Definitely don't like rules bloat. I definitely don't want to see a bunch of new things for me to learn consistently all the time. Um, Even though it changes the game slightly, I sometimes think it changes it too fast. Uh, I like the 8th edition type of schedule, um, but I wish it would stick around longer. So like you don't get a book and then three months later you get a new edition. You know, being toward the end of an edition is never exactly fun for anyone. The thing about rules bloat and the thing about always making new rules and supplements and this and that, is it gives GW more opportunity to screw it up, and you know it's kind of a too many cooks in the kitchen different deal because like not all these codexes are written by the same people, um, not everything is you know done by the same person. It only takes like one or two lines of text to completely like, break something, um, and then you. Don't fix it for three or six months, and that makes kind of a it makes people cranky, and they kind of de- you know you see a decline in gameplay. You even saw it at forty k, you know, in forty k stats with particular armies like Space Marines happening and those supplements. So I don't like the opportunity to screw things up more. I would like you know really solid base rules like Codexes and such coming out on a relatively rapid schedule, but you know stuff like Psychic Awakening and supplements you know pump the brakes, and then like digital releases. If they do stuff like that, like, like the see like a Psychic like Awakening expansion, but happen all at the same time versus, um, you know, not releasing particular codexes or Codex 2.0s.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right, Ben. With Rules Blow, you do get more, you do open yourself up to more bad rulings or, or i guess like weird wonky things like if you look at like a uh, league of legends a game that balance that releases a patch every week it's a great game but riot does have to change their game essentially every week and there are times when people playing league uh, have one week where their champion is is relevant and then the next week their champion isn't relevant because of a, a meta change and then on top of that there's you know couple hundred champions um, and so if they release a champion and they miss an interaction somewhere it, it does affect the quality of the game. Um, what I would really like to see from GW is something that allows them to control a season or control a a, a block of time during releases after everyone gets their codexes where they can kind of like at any point or not at any point but at the end of the season they can hit the refresh button which is why I really like the idea of the Munitorum field manual in the chapter approved mission packet because uh, <clears throat> that's essentially what they can do is they after at the end of the year once they've released all the codexes hopefully um, if they decide oh this this rule set isn't working for all these codexes we're going to revamp it a little they can just do that and that actually does a good job with keeping competitive 40k in check now the Warzone and the the war books and the other kind of weird expansion crusade stuff that is that is and always will be a, an kind of like a curveball. We don't know what we're going to get out of it. Um I hope they just stop releasing those for match play entirely. Uh but they're they're clearly still going to do it. They have a series of Warzone books. So that's my one that that as my one and and only reservation really about crowning this age of 40k as like a, the dawning of a new golden age.
3: Yeah, I'll say this, Pablo. Um I think Ben and you hit on a good point with the rules bloat and addressing toxic rules or rules that need to be toned down but i'll say that from personal experience when you're trying to come up with something out of nothing it's very difficult even for the smartest people to come up with something that works on the first try so i get what games workshop's trying to do and i think that uh like reese said they're doing a better job than ever at making the lore match what plays on the tabletop which is actually an incredible achievement When you're thinking about all these units working together in one codex and the playstyle of the codex matches the lore, that's really good. But you can't get it right the first time. You never will. No matter how smart you are, someone else somewhere is going to find a way to break that amazing rule set that you built or find a way to abuse the rules in a way that doesn't match the lore but is very powerful on the table. And the only way that we're ever going to get closer to perfection, is with polishing. So with those rules updates, with chapter approved, with play testing, with tournament results stats. So Games Workshop is definitely way more responsive than they ever have been before on all of those fronts. And they're even dipping their toes into uh, digital. So for a company that has prided itself on these amazing rule books with detailed images and stories written in them, that's a big step. It's a it's a totally different direction for Games Workshop, and it's totally out of their comfort zone. And yeah, it's not their greatest strength right now because it is so new, but it has the potential to make the competitive side of 40k that much better. So when I think of golden age of 40k, I think of Games Workshop slowly figuring out how to get better and better about polishing those rule sets to make the game as fun and balanced as possible.
0: Uh, So gr- great point. Um, I think that, I think that's in general, I, I think we've, we've beaten that topic to death. Um, I think that for the most part, that's what we're looking for with the golden age of 40 K, but I want to kind of shift gears and talk about another aspect of the golden age of 40 K and that's the non game related stuff. So GW has been, in my opinion, has been hitting it out of the ballpark with the, their uh, releases. They, they, for instance, they bought or are funding the Space Marine um, videos, the those cinematics that are coming out. Uh, they're going to start releasing those. They're releasing, obviously, a little bit more games with a... Uh, like dark tide and stuff coming out uh, and then I think they're doing a good job with their crusade rules. I don't have a ton of, uh, I'm not super familiar with their crusade rules and the direction GW is taking uh, that, that aspect of the game. Um, but in your opinion, in terms of like model releases and content and the other non-game stuff GW uh, is releasing, how much of that impacts this idea of uh, 40k entering a golden age and also is it, is it? Are they doing a good job with it? that stuff, the non-game releases? Well, I can
3: start with the easy softball answer, which is the modeling side is insane. As someone who's collecting a sister's army, they're the most beautiful 40K models I've ever seen, especially once they're painted, even by an amateur like myself. It's like tabletop standard sisters are solid. So there's your easy answer. What do you guys think?
1: Oh, yeah, the, the models... I think you can make a strong argument that GW makes the best uh, aesthetically the best models in the world and the fact that they're in plastic and the, the the technology has just been getting better and better and better. It's it's bananas, right? Like when you look at the way the models go together and the engineering behind it, it's spectacular. And then obviously the, the artistry is uh, bar none. I think really the only argument you could make. In terms of any kind of a comparable model, would be like Gundam models, and that's more for the technical aspects of them, how they combine different kinds of plastics and all this fun, and they they can move. Um, I think that's really it in terms of the combination of engineering and artistry that goes into the models. Uh, You could probably point at some people that are still uh, sculpting and you know casting in metal or resin or something that you aesthetically like them better, but that's relatively simple compared to what GW is doing. So that, that's amazing, uh, the flood of video games. They've been really liberal, liberal with their license, it would appear. And we're getting tons and tons of cool video games, some of them not as good as, as others, but that is a great way to grow the marketplace. And, we're, you know, they're exploring all kinds of fun stuff like Adeptus Titanicus and an Orc Flyer game, and all, just all this wacky fun stuff that's going to appeal to a broader audience. Uh, the the Black Library continues to put out best-selling books and they're coming out at a frightening pace. And of course, like you said, Pablo, and I couldn't agree more, all these animations that are coming out. Like, you know, how many of us have been saying that we'd like to see a, a really high quality GW cartoon or show forever, right? Like, you have always been saying that. And there's going to be a live action show about um, an Inquisitor. I can't remember the name of it. I think Eisenhorn that's coming out. And some of these animations, they're amazing, right? Uh, I I think in regards to media, that there's absolutely no question that we're coming into a golden age in terms of consuming content that's in the gaming universe. So I'm I'm really excited for that. And um, it's about time, right? Like I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner. This is
2: actually a topic that particularly excites me because I'm always a fan of particular communities growing as a whole, not just competitive. Competitive players are like the tip of the spear of any hobby. Uh, they're the top X percent um, of a whole community. So, like outside of like what we may experience at you know tournaments and DTS, there's still a 90 percent rest of the population that has an interest or doing something else. And you know a lot of my friends have recently entered the game, entered it because they came from an outside media source, usually video games. Um, but there's there's so much market penetration. You guys mentioned modeling, and I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to like the McFarlane models line that they pushed out those things are absolutely fantastic um, you know big 7 inch space marine intercessors are really freaking cool and well you can paint them too if you really want to and you know it really shows off that model line it really shows off you know just the amount of work that goes into uh, the ip that they push out and who they trust it with now not everything's so great but like i had a lot of fun with the vr sisters game uh, where you could you know just get the blow away cultists uh, in virtual reality and such but I I love I love a growing community because you know as I mentioned we're the ten percent well ten percent of thirty million is much more than ten percent of one point five million so you know rising tide definitely floats every single boat here.
3: On that note, Ben, I think that the Crusade system has also helped with that, and I haven't given it a try myself, but I've seen plenty of people enjoy it. And just looking over the rules, it seems like it's very well built for someone who has no models to start collecting just a few kits and build it into a 2,000-point army over the course of a few months while playing with it the whole time and having a narrative campaign with your friends. So I still remember those narrative books that Games Workshop would release uh, that would have like special missions and campaigns. But I think the Crusade system is the best narrative system they've ever come up with, which also has the side effect of making it easier to get into the hobby.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the LGSs, I know, are actually having a blast with the crusade system i know two of the big stores around here they're definitely getting a lot more players and those players are now leeching into the other league we have which is our competitive league so that's we're already seeing reaping the benefits from it
0: yeah those those are all amazing points i i think that when you have new content creators coming into a game, especially in this modern day and age, um, you you know, you have like magic pro, magic players, magic content creators, content creators uh, who who didn't know about 40k got put on their, you know, on their map, on their radar. Um, I think that that's a great barometer of uh, your game's growth as a whole. And yeah, we're seeing a lot of great media and stuff too. So I I think I agree with all of you. I think that, the trend that GW is going with in terms of everything, models, media, crusade rules. Um, I think they're doing a really good job. Now there is some stuff that Dries uh, definitely alluded to it with the, uh, the, for example, the, the digital rule set, um, having all the rules in one spot. There's definitely some barriers to entry that I still don't see GW moving towards. Um, that I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about, uh, Ultimately, is are things like the Eisenhorn TV show and beautiful models going to get people to buy into 40k um, when you know the model prices are where they're at? When you have the you know you're having these production issues um, and some of the other kind of things that they, they need to work on, um, who knows? But uh, I think it's a great thing to like look at and and study and analyze in a year uh i'm I personally of the opinion that despite all these things players are going to people are going to find a way to consume 40k some way the the thing i am concerned about is if like there's a if like dark tide or, or some other 40k video game takes off will that become the new thing that gets people into 40k will that be something that people gravitate towards and then the will the game kind of take like a you know like a sideways step obviously it won't it'll be around for a very long time but um it would be interesting to see the state of Warhammer 40k and the gwip in general if half of the fan base was playing one video game and the other half of the fan base was collecting and playing the, the model the miniatures game so
1: i think super you, interesting. you make stuff. a really good point pablo um and anecdotally <clears throat> i don't have any data to back this up but just from watching it when uh, the awesome dawn of war video game the first one came out, our gaming group grew by like 25%. So many people during that period of time, like in the early 2000s, got into 40k because of Dawn of War. It was such a popular game. So I think them being really liberal with their license and casting kind of a wide net when it comes to video games, all it takes is one of them to really hit it big. And the video game market is so much bigger that if you can attract, you know, 5% of those customers over to becoming regular tabletop gamers, you just grew the marketplace massively.
0: Oh, and a quick kudos aside. Uh, I'm, of course, a Magic player. Uh, I like playing Magic. I've, I've been playing Magic for a very long time. I am so happy for Commander 40k Commander-themed decks. I think it's great for 40k, and I think it's interesting for magic, but just as a quick aside, I just I, I just love that 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 is a thing that is happening. Um and if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're a magic player and this is your first news of hearing about it, go check it out. Basically, Magic is making this big push towards combining their game and their IP with other games and other IPs. And I, I love that. I'm I'm all for that. Um maybe one day we'll even get like a 40k uh, you know, Avengers Endgame style thing where you get all these heroes, you bring them together and they fight off some big bad guy. Like, you know, it was kind of the trend for a little bit. Uh, it would be a very late trend, but I'm still all here for it. Or 40k end times, you know, just something, something big, some sort of big thing.
2: As Reese mentioned, uh, 5% of any extremely large community, including MTG, um, definitely helps uh, the this game. So I even though you know I might have reservations about it on the magic side, it, it's it's great for 40K.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, that is it. Does anyone have... It, do any of you three want to add something else to this topic before we move on to the patron questions? All right, right on. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you can, of course, support us uh, by going to patreon.com slash chapter text. The patrons and get access to awesome stuff, to giveaways, and they also get to ask us questions that we answer live on the air every episode and uh we're going to jump into that starting with the first patron question comes from patron tim um what does a golden age mean to you is it an abundance of options and new stuff or finally achieving a lasting balance we actually answers this question we actually answered this question um the answer is yes uh, on the uh, yeah, yeah everything it means that's what it means to you we actually answered this question on the the podcast but i apologize tim um but i it does kind of lead to a secondary question which is uh what do you what is your favorite thing about uh 40k golden age that you that you love like what's something that if you saw or maybe you're currently seeing it happen in this hobby that just brings you so much glee
1: um i can lead on that one if you guys don't mind i don't mind right so uh, the 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 previous 40k golden age was fifth edition and for those of you who were playing the game at that point in time i've been playing since almost the beginning of 40k we like fifth edition was such a good edition in the beginning that it the whole like the reason this podcast is here the reason that we have stat center the reason that we have all this stuff the independent tournament circuit or the ITC the um, now the international tournament circuit all this stuff came about as a result of how good the game was in fifth edition fifth edition saw this explosion of independent tournaments right? Like before in fourth edition, there was like two that anybody knew about. And it also goes hand in hand with the internet rising, internet communities blowing up. But because the game was good, balanced, a low barrier to entry, uh, we, we went from two, three notable tournaments to more than you could count. Right? So that's how important it is to have that good mix, to have that golden age, is that if you hit all the right notes, it causes this absolute flourishing in the community, where the the players are so energized that they will create this incredible like growth. So that I think that's something that um, if we can hit the right notes again, we could see another like round of that level of of exciting and, and just kind of intoxicating growth in the community.
0: You know, it's interesting that you brought that up, Reese, because I was actually thinking about this the other day anecdotally of course I've been talking to people and kind of just like asking them like when did you start playing 40k and it's just been a topic that's been come up a couple times over and over and over and I've noticed a trend the trend is is that when I start to talk about 6th and 7th edition now more people's eyes will glaze over and it's like oh yeah I kind of remember that or oh yeah my buddy talked about that and now it's kind of at the point where I've put most 40k players into two categories. They're either the old guard, so they're people that started playing when I started playing or older, where they remember 5th edition or started just when 6th edition happened and they kind of stuck through and then made it through the 6th and 7th edition doldrums and then into 8th edition and never quit, or they started in 8th edition and that's it. They don't know anything else past 8th edition. Um and which kind of makes sense because in 5th edition you did see this big surge, like you talked about. There was pretty much like a golden age. um It was very, very popular until Grey Knights came in and ruined everything. And we didn't get similar growth until Eighth Edition, when GW blew the doors off and almost put a couple miniature games out of business, be, with with the amount of growth and expansion Eighth Edition kind of experienced. And so you know, it's the same thing with like like in population trends, like the big baby boomers and you know, or surrounding big world time events and stuff. It just kind of reminds me of that, too. That's a very interesting topic.
1: Yeah, it sure is. And I think you make a good point, right? Like, in six and sevens, we were hanging on by our fingernails, and it was like, not to toot our own horn, but if we didn't go in and change the rules, the tournament scene would, who knows where it would be. It might not even really be around anymore. And then when GW gets it right... With 8th edition the game explodes their stock triples yep and all of a sudden you have uh, just a a flood of people coming in that, that's how important it is to get it all right
0: all right uh next patron question comes from patron kelsey what things as a community can we do to be more accommodating to new players and not discourage them Ooh.
1: i, I have a, a really simple rule and i'm sorry God, i don't mean to keep talking guys no, go ahead so i got a really simple rule because i've taught The Emperor knows how many people I've taught how to play 40k over the decades that I've been playing this game. It's a really simple rule, right? When you're trying to get someone interested in in any game, not just 40k. The first time you play them, be super uh, optimistic, be super positive, and let them win, right? Every time I see some just neckbeard smash a kid, I'm like, well, there goes another person that could have played the game. They may never come back. I'm like, be nice to them. Focus on their experience, not your own. Be nothing but enthusiastic. And on their own, all you have to do is give them just a little bit, the tiniest nudge. They're already interested. They're going to just take off and run with it and be super excited. right? Like That was the rule in the store. Kid comes in, interested in 40K, throw some models on the table, let them win the game. They're super amped go home, convince their parents to get some models, and now you have a lifelong hobbyist. It's really that simple, right? And then obvious, there's the obvious stuff like be nice, be open, be accepting of people regardless of their background or any of that stuff. That's one of my favorite things about 40K is I have friends I never ever would have met, like such a, div- a diverse group of people, and it's wonderful. It's one of the best parts about it. So just be a good human being and let them win and be nice. And all of a sudden they'll be back and they'll be so excited to, to, to be more involved.
0: Yeah, and I I can attest to that too. Reese is my friend, despite the fact that I've never seen the Transformers movie.
1: <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> so you it was, ste- wait, wait the the only Transformers movie that counts, which is the the, the one where Optimus one Prime. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. yes. The one the tear jerk one. I've never seen it. But Reese is still my friend, and that's only because of forty k.
3: Yeah, let <laughs> would say you don't have to let them win necessarily, but you shouldn't bring gotchas on them. And you should try and make sure that they understand everything that's happening. And like Reese said, keep it optimistic, keep it positive and keep it consistent. Don't do anything to a new player. You wouldn't have wanted done to yourself when you were new.
2: And like just a little add on note, get excited about things and then, you know, add that little bit of emotion. Don't, don't just be a, a deadpan, be interactive. Like don't, don't look at your phone while they're taking their turn. Like, walk them through it. If they roll a bunch of sixes, get hype about it. Like, put energy in the game.
0: These are all really great points. Um, I'm learning this as a new dad. Uh, My daughter is getting into things that I have known about for years, like Avatar The Last Airbender and Star Wars and Disney. And um, there are times when she's just like, Dad, Darth Vader is evil. And I'm like, yeah, no Doug kid, but I don't say that because I want her to be a little Star Wars fan when she grows up. So, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, he's so evil, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should definitely... Anyone jumping into the, the game who's new, it's everything's going to be new to them. Things are going to excite them that don't excite you. And so, all everything Brandon, Ben, and Reese said is 100% correct. Just keep that excitement level going. They're new. You're not. Let them have their fun. Uh, now, Next question comes from patron Brett. What big events are the hosts looking forward to attending, and others they would
2: like to attend? Mm. Do I just say Atlantic City? Like right now? Is this where I, this is where I plug it after I bought my first forty k ticket mean, in a year? Yes,
3: keep plugging Atlantic City.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually really looking forward to Atlantic City because I want to be at the forefront uh and pioneer like a- another LVO sized event like i want to be like at the beginning i wasn't there for the beginning of the LVO i want to be here for Atlantic City
1: yeah it's it's going to be a really exciting event obviously this year it won't be as big due to sensible social distancing and you know health and safety guidelines which we are going to meet and exceed but um for me i don't think i'm going to be able to play too much just cuz we're running so many events and i'm training our new events manager um, kicker, and then Pablo is going to be uh, traveling to most, if not all, of the events. Yeah. So unfortunately, he and I are going to be at the events and not playing. That's been the curse ever since I uh, became an event organizer. I don't get to play as much. And on top of that, speaking to your last point, Pablo, I was playing uh, Deathwing because they're so easy to play. But my, my friend's 10-year-old son just just got to the point where he's interested in 40k wants to play he wants to play deathwing you can't find the models so off they went
0: <laughs> Oh, so, what a nice guy
1: well you know that t- that's like the magical age right like at 10 to 12 anything you get into is will resonate with you for the rest of every, your life i right? know you so, probably
3: own every model in a display case somewhere but that's still very generous oh
1: yeah it's you know i i wanted to be a part of someone's journey into the into the game right and it's like i was like am i really going to be able to play that much in the next 12 months i was like i'll be at all the big events i just won't be playing at all the big
0: events jeez
1: so yeah that's all good i love it, dude
0: he's gonna he's gonna come back 10 years later and he's gonna beat brandon grant with that same (laughs) army and we're gonna be like i'll be a neckbeard by then you're already a neckbeard i mean literally yes (laughs) i guess Anyways, uh th- that's fucking amazing, Reese. Good job, man. Um. Anyways, next question. Uh. Oh, actually, this isn't a question, but this is uh something uh, funny. Um. A patron, RVD One of a Kind, who of Fortline Gaming Blog Flames said that he actually has nothing to complain about in this current edition. Oh,
1: what? <laughs> I don't believe it.
0: Which is um surprising. So he says that it's clearly. I guess we're in some sort of golden age. Way to be.
2: Positive. way to go no one yeah could like, you know
1: right. you know what it is is he's obsessed with greater demons and they're good right now right like a lot of multiple greater <laughs> demon lists are winning so this is this is rvd one of a kind's golden age he needs to enjoy every moment of this <laughs>
0: um <laughs> uh next question comes from Patron Nick, uh, I would ask how those of us who can't travel to super majors keep from feeling left out of the blossoming competitive 40k scene and ITC rankings. It seems that if it wasn't for COVID, we would ha- now have more and more super majors with toward buckets of points. So, for for those of you who can't travel to super majors, how do you how do you uh, stop from feeling left out of the blossoming competitive 40k scene and ITC rankings? Um, and this, as they extend, also extends to after post COVID too. Um, and, and i do want to add a little bit more to this there are players who will have a harder time catching games and going and enjoying the competitive 40k scene you know I've, I've been doing this podcast a long time and there are people who consistently reach out to me and say like look i i live in in a rural part of the world i don't have anyone to play 40k with you or you and a few other content creators are literally my only window into the tournament scene um and i, I you know i i I'm saving up money to go to the lvoto i can see you but That's it, that Delvio is all I have, or that one event is all I have. Um, So I think this is a really good question. How, to those people who are listening, how do you keep your passion over the hobby, and how do you kind of stop from feeling left out of the competitive 40K scene?
3: Well, if you're not able to attend the big events, that can be a bummer, especially if it's due to travel restrictions. So it is going to be a bummer. So you're just going to need to look for activities that are closer to home, or more attainable and still be able to play safely and all of those things so for example um, i know my local gaming store is organizing an outdoor tournament that's being held over multiple weekends so that they can space people out enough on the, the street to still have a reasonably sized event but not all in the same room at the same time so they're finding creative workarounds to get around the the restrictions to keep the plague from taking over um, so that's nice. I mean, that that's important. Another thing you can do is um, there are various social media groups. So you can go on Discord, you can go on Facebook, and find like-minded people. Share photos of that latest model you finished painting. Um, discuss the latest rules releases and how to deal with them. Uh, listen to battle reports. You can get involved in the social media side as well. But those are the two ways I'm finding workarounds. At least is I haven't gone to a major event since LVO of 2020 so for me it's been look at social media posts of 40k and dream about playing games and then try and find workarounds locally when i can
1: yeah that's that's the best you can do you know And it's funny i haven't been to a 40k event since the exact same time brendan (laughs) but um so uh uh, first of all I, i feel bad for anybody in that situation that's a bummer but Well, here's a little trick that I used to keep myself dialed into 40 K when, uh, I was out of the country for over a year, I was trying to ride a bicycle around the world. And so obviously I did, I had no access to being able to play games or whatever. And when you're riding a bicycle for 10 to 12 hours a day, like you have to keep your mind occupied. So one of the things I started doing is I started writing lists in my head and, um, It's actually pretty easy to do, uh, especially when you have, like, uh, digital versions of the books and stuff. So you can sit there and start, like, using free time to imagine cool combos and putting ideas together and trying to run through, like, scenarios in your mind. And that's actually how I came up with my foot list, which was the most fun army I've ever played. And it kind of put me on the map competitively because back then Eldar were really bad, especially all foot eldar but because i had all this time to like think it through and all these different scenarios i was i was really confident that the idea would work so you can take that free time and put it to good use just by using the power of your mind and come up with something fresh and unique and um, when you are able to play you can go put it to the test and if it is a unique and cool idea you can uh, create some quasi fame for yourself by uh, by bringing something completely out of left field that is cool because it's uniquely yours. It's the fruit of your own mental labor, so to speak. So you can still enjoy the hobby, even if all you have is your brain, (laughs) you know? You just gotta be creative.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. And I I feel like there's also more hands-on things you could do as well. obviously you still want to stay dialed in um to the community and in, in some capacity i feel like that's kind of a necessity uh if you especially if you want to be a part of the competitive 40k scene uh, but one thing you could also do is you could also look out locally and kind of like do like a, if you build it they will come scenario i'm actually seeing this all around the world right now despite covid happening uh for instance there uh, is a good friend of mine who lives in uh, south korea he and his buddies. <clears throat> they're starting a, a tournament in South Korea, in Seoul, South Korea, uh, and th- th- there's never been a 40k ITC event out there. But he's just he moved out there, he found some buddies on a, I believe a, a base out there, and then got some other buddies who who were South Koreans who loved 40k, um, and they just all kind of got together and you know start decided they wanted to try and run tournament. When Covid was over, and so they've been saving up money, they've been buying uh, FLG mats. Thank you, by the way, guys uh, and gals. And, you know, they've been building terrain and slowly talking about their armies, and they've been hyping it up, and hopefully, you know, when when everything rolls around, they'll have a a GT or an RTT coming out of Seoul, South Korea. But you can do that too, And, and it can be something, you don't have to, you know, build an entire GT, it could be something as simple as going online to our frontline gaming secondhand shop and finding a great deal on a dark angels army or something. And uh, pointing that in the direction of your friend or even buying it and giving it to your friend or letting them borrow it. Secondhand models are, are cheaper. The, the You don't have to worry about them being beautifully painted and breaking them. Um, they are secondhand by nature. And I found that that's how I got into 40 K. And I found that that's one of the best ways to get people into 40 K through cheap models that, you know, they can eventually upgrade and, and improve on. So, there are other ways to get people to play 40k locally, um, but I think what we can kind of agree on is that it is going. To, you are going to have to take more work to do it. So um, whether you decide you want to interact more with the community uh, virtually, or if you want to build and grow your local community, it's going to take some effort on your part. And I'm here for you if you need help with that. You can always email me or uh, any of the other content creators. Um, as I understand it, we're all great, loving people who will be happy to help listeners. All right. Pitch Ryan wants to know how many unicorns are too many as proxies. Two.
1: One. Z- zero. Two. One is too I- many.
0: I will say that Jessica Schmoller's Space Marines. She had a, I believe it was Khan on a bike, but uh, if you if you uh, are unfamiliar, she had a like a pink princess Space Marine army with complete with glitter, uh, and. Um, she had a con on a bike who was really just a con on a unicorn. Um, and I would, so I, ever since then, I'll have to say it two is too many proxies. One is okay, but two is probably too many. I'm thinking
3: literally a unicorn from a third party. So if con's writing it, that's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had the joy of seeing her. Well, okay, let's be fair. It was a Thunderstar list. So I had the, the, yeah, I had the joy of seeing her beating guys and then having them just like lo- lose their minds <laughs> like, <laughs> on multiple occasions. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, there's room for creativity in the hobby, but it always reduces my immersion when somebody has an army that's just wildly out like anachronistic. So it's not like, it's not a bad thing. You know, like there's room for everybody well, in the hobby, but when you think for about me it, personally,
3: the 40k universe is huge, and
1: I'm sure you can make an argument for there's it. There's
2: a planet somewhere where the unicorn was, and that con took the unicorn. It's. How, how I hope they explain. It? I hope that they. Uh,
1: I hope they used exterminatus on that planet. That's right. <laughs>
2: if you cover it in in or a or or shade, it'll look the part. It's fine.
1: <laughs> I don't, just when people go too crazy with the proxy or the you know. Modeling, it always reduces my immersion a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just am like, uh, I've seen some wonky stuff, and sometimes I'm like, that makes me enjoy the game less, but that's just me. All
0: right. (laughs) And then finally, Patron Joseph wants to know, do you think tabletop simulator will help or hurt 4K as we enter into this golden age?
2: Beyond help. Like, not even a question. Um, (laughs) It's nothing but positive. it uh, exposes way more players, it, it has way more market penetration, people can actually like try out the tabletop without ever having to buy a single model, and at the end of the day like you're just exposing more people to something. I, I believe that like tabletop simulator is definitely more of a first-tries free uh, situation for new players, and for players that want to like, stay consistent and keep the game going, it's that, definitely the tool you kind of have to use in this current time.
0: Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. Um, so I was actually so I was actually uh of under the opinion that tabletop simulator was going to be a non-factor in 40k moving forward. Until uh I saw a content creator, and you may have heard of him, he's pretty popular now, uh Tactical Tortoise, um, whose content is almost entirely on Tabletop Simulator. Uh and you know, shout out to him. He definitely knows how to put on a good show. Um, But we had a literal content creator spawn out of Tabletop Simulator and use it. Um, And I think that, obviously, it's not going to be as good as a, as playing 40K in person. Um, And also, if there was ever an official 40K game, it would definitely blow Tabletop Simulator out of the water. However, like you said, Ben, it enhances it. It enhances the experience for those who want to use it. Um, And it's an option that can only grow the community and not hurt us. Yes, especially in the time of the I just moment.
1: I would just say that I, I would undoubtedly say it's a useful tool, but I would also not hang my hat on a game that is using another company's IP without permission. So
3: yeah, and it's it's wonky. It's definitely nowhere near as good as the real thing. But like Ben was saying, for first triesies, like oh, I wonder what this army's like. Then um, doing that once or twice just to see what it's like and then go get the models you actually want seems like a great idea to me.
2: Yeah, it's if GW wants to learn something from it, um, putting out their own product or doing some sort of deal with TTS would be really cool. On top of that, though, I really enjoyed Kill Team in it. Um, Full-size 40K games aren't really my shtick in it. I don't like sitting at a computer for five hours. Uh, moving models around that much, but kill teams pretty fun.
1: Yeah from the from the user's perspective, it's a wonderful tool. It's just you know, from a business perspective, um, I, I question its longevity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see tabletop simulators' future when uh, events start picking up. Yep. Who knows? All right, and that is it. Thank you so much for asking those questions, patrons. I really appreciate your love and support. All right, that is it. That is the end of the episode. Ben, if they love hearing your sultry tones and they want to hear more from you, where can they find you?
2: They can find me on In the Finest Hour along with Sean Morgan and Shailen Allen West.
0: All right. And then, uh, Reese, just in case anyone listening to this podcast still doesn't know who you are, Where can they see your beautiful brown locks?
1: (laughs) Well, I still have them, yes. uh, People can see more of me, and then the Rhino is there in spirit on uh, Frontline Signals from the Frontline.
0: All right, and that's on the Frontline Gaming Network. And then finally, Brandon, Uh, do you have any uh, plugs you want to give
3: up? Not right now. Just come back and see us next time on Chapter Tactics.
0: Right on. All right, that is it. Thank you all so much for listening. You are all the best listeners in the world. Don't forget to like and subscribe and check out all the other podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Network. I will see you all next week for episode number 200. I am hyped. And as always, have a good one.